This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Health IQ, the only company that measures your knowledge of healthy living and then uses it to save you money. And since today's story takes place largely in the water, let's look at swimming and its impact on health benchmarks. According to a 2013 study in the International Journal of Cardiology, swimmers showed a 16% increase in VO2 max over non-swimmers. In a different study, swimmers also saw a 10% decrease in total and LDL cholesterol, which is the bad kind of cholesterol. There were also significant gains in power output, general health, mental health, and heart performance. Also, in situations where someone was thrown overboard, swimmers outperformed non-swimmers every single time. So if you need life insurance, and you're a swimmer, Health IQ is one of the few places that knows exactly how much that's worth and how to combine it with your other healthy habits for the biggest discount. Go to healthiq.com slash outside to see if you qualify. That's healthiq.com slash outside. From Outside Magazine and PRX. This is the science of survival. <sighs> Up near the same latitude as Norway, about halfway between Iceland and Scotland, in the middle of the North Atlantic, a pod of 50 pilot whales, which is a small sort of dolphin-like whale, are making their way towards the Faroe Islands a small sort of Denmark-like country. The islands are known for deep fjords on the coast, huge grasslands, and a largely pastoral existence. In Danish, Faroe Islands means the islands of sheep. Pilot whales are known for their intelligence. They stick together their whole lives, living in families. It's rare for offspring to ever leave their mother's pod. They're called pilot whales because it was once thought that the whole pod followed a single leader, a pilot. And while we still call them whales, technically, they are dolphins. Pods are families, but they do come together occasionally to mate or feed. And as this one that we're following pushes north, it joins with another one, and then one more, until it's a group of nearly 150 whales feasting as they follow a run of octopus, cuttlefish, and squid, their favorite meal, which draws them closer and closer to shore. The pilot whales are a familiar sight on the islands, but it's still a big deal whenever they get close to land. In fact, the Faroe Islands has a law which states that if you see a pod of whales off the coast, you have to report it. That's Joel Carnegie, who traveled to the Faroe Islands last summer, to report on what happens when a pod of pilot whales gets close to land. Because as soon as a group is spotted, calls go out. Everyone looks towards the water, and a group of volunteers head towards their boats. But these aren't tourists, scientists, or environmentalists. These are modern-day, government-approved amateur whalers. The Faroese kill and eat around 800 pilot whales a year. For me, it has always been, how fast can you get this animal out of suffering by killing it. Jens Morten Rasmussen is one of those volunteer whalers. He's been doing it for decades. So I have always put that in front, that this animal shall die as fast as possible and be 
be done as proper as even possible. A good kill for with a knife is five to ten seconds. Today you are bad if you can't do it under three. Killing an animal that weighs up to two, three ton in two, three seconds, it's yeah, it's it's more amazing than than it is uh, yeah, anything else. Whilst the Faroe Islands may be part of peaceful and progressive Scandinavia, whale hunts are still a regular part of life. It's called the Grindadrup, or Grind, and it starts when a pod of whales are spotted coming towards land. Whalers jump into their boats and then herd the whales towards one of 23 approved beaches. Whalers bang on their boats and pound metal poles with hammers, a process called drive hunting, which creates an acoustic wall of sound that's literally painful for the whales. It drives the pod forward, toward the shallow waters of a whaling beach, where more volunteer whalers grab blowholes with dull hooks and then dispatch the animals with a spear to the spinal cord, a regulation spinal lance that was designed by a Faroese veterinarian to end things quickly. Some might say we killed them too slow. This is Peter Rasmussen, Yen's 19-year-old son. But we cut them in the neurological area somewhere, or actually we pretty much snapped their neck. So the body is completely disconnected from the brain. And so no blood's pumping through to the brain or anything, so it dies instantly. So that's one thing to be proud of. Since he was a boy, Peter has watched his dad go out day and night to hunt pilot whales. He was at this grind last year and recorded it. I walk down to the beach and I wait for the whales to come to shore. When the boats come in, there's a lot of banging on the boats because they try to make it so there's a moving wall behind them. So they push them into the shores. You can hear the screeches when they come to shore and when they get caught. Those tiny squeaks you can hear are the whales calling out. The goal is to kill them quickly, both because it's more humane, but also because if they get too stressed, it ruins the meat. But by that measure, this hunt doesn't go very well. Equipment that we use is not good enough. It keeps bending and it's not as good as the old stuff we used. This time my dad was running around. People were yelling at him to come over to kill this whale and there was too many whales to like get there quickly. As the day goes on, there's enough blood in the water to stain it red. I saw people who were holding a whale that wasn't ready to be cut. There was no rope attached to the, the blowhole. There was no control on the whale. The whale was just splashing around by the beach and they just went out and killed it directly and it took a long time to kill it. By the end of this grind, 135 whales are dead. I felt upset because this was not as professionally done as the other times. But stuff like that happens in this kind of tradition, as you could call it. I'm probably going to be hated if someone from the violence hears this, but I don't care about that. I just want to have the truth out there because each side is telling lies. The grind, you may have noticed, is pretty similar to the hunts filmed in the 2009 documentary The Cove, about drive hunting dolphins in the Japanese town of Taiji. When The Cove was released, it resulted in international condemnations and controversy, and eventually won an Oscar for Best Documentary. But unlike in Japan, none of the Faroese whaling happens in secret. In fact, the Faroese are proud of it. They consider it part of their cultural heritage, 
Today, a crowd of tourists gathered and watched the whole time. And the debate over these hunts is not at all clear-cut. The tradition of hunting pilot whales goes back a thousand years, when Vikings came to the Faroe Islands from Norway and brought the practice with them. It's a part of our culture. I would say we have a, we still have a rich, very rich culture life. Oliver Sudraberg is the chair of the Pilot Whalers Association. We still have our language, fairways. We still have the old ring dance. And also one of the old things was whale hot. It's not just old. It's one of the world's oldest surviving traditions. Pilot whale meat and blubber saved the people of the Faroe Islands from starving, both on long sea journeys and on land. Sometimes, when food was scarce, pilot whales would just swim into the bay like a gift. And where other Nordic cultures have gone on to commercialize the practice, the Faroese still treat it as a cultural tradition. It's even mentioned in the Sheep Letter of 1298, which mostly lays out how to settle disputes about sheep, but also addresses the process of finding whales and dividing up the meat. It would be like if raising veal was mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. Part of this is about protecting a thousand-year-old cultural tradition. And yes, whilst the Faroe Islands now have a McDonald's and satellite TV, Oliver and others believe that these whale hunts are still an integral part of Faroese culture and should be protected, perhaps even by UNESCO. But others don't agree. Ranva Johansson is a Faroese woman passionate about animal rights. She says that the practice is barbaric, with the whales undergoing a long, painful an emotionally challenging death. You can never kill a whale like you can kill the sheep. A sheep, you can just pull a bullet between their eyes and it is, it's dead, didn't feel anything. But you cannot kill a whale like that. It takes hours. Whalers often talk about how fast the whales are killed. Jens Morten Rasmussen said it was a matter of seconds. But Ranva says that doesn't take into account the real trauma of the hunt. When the whalers have located the, the whaling family out in the open sea, they are driven ashore and the hunt is for a very long time. They get stressed and the entire family are getting on the shore and then they can see each other being killed and hear screams from their babies and then they can only wait for themselves to feel the knife. But if you accept that meat is a legitimate way to feed yourself, Let's hold off on that debate for another time. There's always going to be some killing involved. And when you zoom out to look at whether or not pilot whales are good candidates for meat eaters, well, things get even more complicated. On the one hand, pilot whales are not an endangered species. But population estimates are really hard to figure out. Bjarni Mikkelsen is a marine mammal biologist at the Faroese Natural History Museum. Every time you bring up a number, you, you always end up also discussing uh, the reliability and robustness of your estimate. So um, is it half a million or is, or is it 300,000 or, or do we only have maybe 150,000? So what you're saying is essentially there really is no way to determine conclusively how many pilot whales are in the North Atlantic. No, no you couldn't. Then you had to count everyone and you can't. So no one really knows how many pilot whales there are, but it's thought that killing around 800 whales a year is a sustainable harvest. The problem is that the Faroese style of hunting is terrible for pilot whales as a whole. 
If you remember, pilot whales stick together in family units, and there were 150 whales in the group we were following earlier. 135 of them were killed in just the one grin that we're looking at. That wipes out almost an entire genetic line, and genetic diversity is vital to the health of the whole species. This is like the genetic equivalent of clear-cutting the forest. But a lot of the meat you'll find in the Faroe Islands is problematic. Here's Jens Morton Rasmussen again, the whaler we heard from earlier. As, as, as you can see, the Faroe Islands is extremely modern, but almost everything you see in the supermarket is imported. The meat that we eat in the supermarket, we barely know where that comes from. I need to kill about, yeah, what, 2,000 chickens for the life of one whale. Uh, and I don't know how that chicken has been living its life, probably miserable in, in a shoebox somewhere in Denmark or another place in the world. And for the Faroese, meat from a shoebox in Denmark doesn't carry the taste of your childhood or the traditions of a culture you hope to pass on to your grandchildren. So I'm going to prepare a meal for you now. Sometimes when people ask me, how does a whale beef taste like? I said, well, it, it tastes like a beef, English beef or steak. Cheers. But it also tastes like, imagine if you put a cow in the ocean for a week. <laughs> it gets you the, this, this sea taste, uh, which you can't explain really, because it's marine fat. This is Tor Jensen, a proud Faroese local. By day, he's the CFO of a major fishing company. But at home, in the small town of Goethe, he's often found whipping up a storm in the kitchen. I joined him for lunch. It's right deep down in the culture, and if I couldn't eat it, I would really miss it. It's the first thing you think about when you think about something, ah, something nice. After the whales are killed, volunteers then butcher them and distribute the meat to the rest of the town and neighboring villages. Go down to the freezer. It's a community building event. So this is, this is blubber. You see how white and beautiful it is? Let's go over here and, yep. and, and cut it. Blubber is, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know if it's 100% fat, but it's close to. Mm. So it's yeah, actually, it's quite easy to cut, you see? Even though this, this is minus 25 degrees. No problem to cut. The, the nice thing with uh, dry food is that it doesn't need any cooking or anything. You just cut it and eat it. But this meat is pretty bad for you. And not just high in saturated fat bad for you. It's like really, really bad. Dr. Paul Weyer is the chief physician at the Department of Occupational Medicine and Public Health in the Faroese hospital system. And since 1984, he's been researching and testing the effects of eating pilot whale meat with over 2,300 Faroese children and their mothers. It has been known for, for many years that the metal mercury is toxic to the human brain. Because of this, in 1994, Dr. Weyer released a report advising all pregnant Faroese women to avoid eating pilot whale meat. But what we did not know, there's no safe lower limit, according to our studies. It is like with lead, you can't say this level is without any harmful effect. Dr. Weyer also discovered that the meat was contaminated with organic pollutants, PCBs, PFCs, and other compounds found in things like non-stick cookware, fast food containers, shampoos, cosmetics, paints, 
these pilot whales are full of the same pollution that's poisoning the ocean. Since then, pilot whale meat and blubber have also been shown to increase the risk of Parkinson's disease, hypertension, arteriosclerosis, even cognitive deficiencies in children with prenatal exposure to methylmercury. In, in 2008, we actually came out, the first medical officer in the Faroes, Hörkner de Bajons, and I, and concluded that uh, pilot whale meat and blubber should not be eaten anymore by the general public. But even this evidence didn't dissuade the whalers. We have too much focus on that the pilot whales are poisoned, and we have too less focus on that it is the ocean we are, we are about to, to make damage. That is the main problem. Rather than telling people not to hunt pilot whales, pro-whalers argue that everyone should focus on cleaning up the ocean. So to recap both sides of this, the Faroese kill about 800 pilot whales a year, which seems like it's probably a sustainable harvest, but no one has a good sense of pilot whale numbers, so we can't be sure. Also, the style of hunting is really bad for the genetics of the whole species. But whale meat is a cultural touchstone for the Faroese, so the hunt is seen as a way to preserve not just the old ways, but also a national identity. Finally, whale meat is reportedly delicious, but it's also poisoning the people of the Faroe Islands. So, given all this, you've probably made up your mind, one way or the other, about what should be done about whaling in the Faroe Islands. But let's shift over now from presenting both sides of this, like an argument over what should happen. We'll take a look at what did happen. When I talked to people who weren't so firmly entrenched on one side of the issue or the other, I got a slightly different story. Faroese locals told me that yes, the Grind was a national pastime and part of Faroese tradition, but it wasn't that popular. Many had stopped eating the meat, and a few politicians were speaking out about the practice. The country was moving past it. And then, in 2014, the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society showed up, saying that the country wasn't moving past it fast enough. Each pilot whale killed on their beaches was a tragedy. That is why we are 100% committed to getting in the way, to interfering with and stopping any Grindadrap. For those of you unfamiliar with Sea Shepherd, they're a direct action environmental group that obstructs whaling practices in any way they can, with smoke bombs, fire hoses, and in Japan and Russia, ramming their boat into other boats. And we will interfere and intervene as necessary. This audio is from a press conference they held to announce their arrival. The overall message was, we're not asking, we're telling. We will stop the grin, we will interfere, we will not allow this to happen. Sea Shepherd also filmed the whole thing for a TV show on Animal Planet called Whale Wars, Viking Shores. It is August, the peak of whaling season, and tensions are rising between the Sea Shepherds and the Faroese. Hey! Hey! In 2013, the year before Sea Shepherd arrived, the Faroese took 1,104 whales. In 2014, they only got 48. On the surface, you could argue the Sea Shepherd campaign worked, but it's more complicated than that. Locals say that because of the Sea Shepherd campaign, the grin changed. Sea Shepherd made whaling a symbol of modern Faroese independence. When you say in the media that you shall not be whaling, you're hitting something deep in the Faroese. 
Inchi Sorensen is a photographer, diver, and a man who spends his life exploring and photographing the oceans around the Faroes. And then Sea Shepherd came, and uh, this pressure came, came from outside, you know, and and uh, yeah, everything collapsed, you know. All these politicians, they stepped back, you know, and everybody stepped forward, you know, and everybody wanted to be a part of uh, this killing, you know. Now, to be anti-whaling is seen by many as being anti-Faroese, and whale meat has become a symbol of Faroese autonomy. A whole new generation has developed a taste for it. In 2015, 508 pilot whales were killed, and in 2016, I'm told 254 pilot whales were caught in four major drives, but no official numbers have been released. And whilst those year-on-year numbers seem a bit random, it's because of the ad hoc coincidental nature of the hunts. You never know when a pot of whales might be going past. But what has most certainly increased is the number of Faroese now holding a licence to whale. Here's conservationist Rooney Nielsen. So now all these guys that now have gotten this acquired taste for pilot whale meat, they are in the 20s, and they will have a long career as amateur whalers. That's probably the only thing both sides can agree on. The grind is not going away anytime soon. They expected a few hundreds that would turn up to, to take the licence, and there have been thousands that are now licensed pilot whale hunters. So, so it's so small an aspect of the Faroe Islands, but it has been blown up out of proportions. And what, what the result is, is that pilot whaling in the Faroe Islands will live 50 years longer than it had to. This piece was produced by Joel Carnegie and myself, Peter Frickwright, and based on a story that originally aired on ABC Radio National. That's the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Joel is the lead producer at The Space Company, a media house based in Melbourne, Australia. Find them at thespacecompany.com.au. Music today by Robbie Carver. This season of The Science of Survival is supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance and brutal cultural survival. More at sloan.org. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Magazine and PRX. And next time on The Outside Podcast, we're going deep into the jungle. And this was kind of the culmination of everything. We're, we're just stuck, and we have to survive the night. Two friends in a tree, certain death at their feet. So we had the 22, which was the first line of defense, and then we had the machete. It's a classic story of survival. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>